Punishment Island is a horror narrative aimed at a mature audience, and so it may contain material that is upsetting or triggering for certain people. This episode centers around a three-day period during the Mbalu circumcision rituals of the Bagisu people. It's not explicitly graphic, but just in case, I thought I would mention it. Navarwa once met a Mugisu man who had followed his car, which had got lost from him, to cross over the mountains of Mount Masaba into Kenya, and he followed it up. So in search of his car, he met a group of girls and other people, of course, there, where his car was identified, and he was told to identify his car. He did it, he identified it, and moreover, the car was looked equally the same. So it depended on one's intelligence to sort out his real car. To their surprise, he picked out his real car, and this attracted the, the admiration from the girls around. One of the girls who were there who admired him was Navarwa, very beautiful Kalenjini girl. So this Mugisu man condone the girl and moved from all along from Kenya to this place where we are where I am. And now when they reached here, incidentally, the Mugisu man was not circumcised. And yet the lady was circumcised. And the lady gave a condition that not until the man accepted to be circumcised, he could not enjoy anything from her. She even threatened to go back, upon which the man accepted and The woman circumcised him, but he said, should you show any sign of cowardice? One, you will not enjoy any part of my body. Two, I'll even go back to where I came from. And that was the first circumcision on Masaba land and we honor that activity reflecting on what the first Mugisu began with in the names of Fuya, the son of Muhammad, who lived in this place, this culture. Episode 5, Rites of Passage An old and an acquaintance of mine hit me up last week. She had some work for me. Two of her colleagues will be coming to Uganda soon. They were doing some documentary work on the traditional circumcision within East Africa. They needed an extra pair of hands for a job out in Mbale because a small Bagisu village was holding a ceremony for some boys the coming week. Ever since that night in Kavalagala, I haven't been productive at all and had barely had any bookings. I was way too close to complete brokenness and was so relieved to get the call. The plan was to meet the Randans in Mbale on Wednesday. I was told that all of the basic groundwork had already been set up. They talked to a local council member who had sorted out our accommodation and would be our guide during the circumcision ceremony. All I had to do was take pictures and they would do the rest. The Mbalu festivities would take up three days starting from Thursday. So on Tuesday evening, I made my way to the park to catch my bus. I figured it would be a long one and I'd be able to catch some sleep on the way. The Rondon crew would then pick me up at the park in Mbale when I got there. Aside from the prospect of getting paid for the work, I was actually more excited about the trip we were going to take afterwards. I had been told that we would get to climb Mount Elgon and do a little sightseeing. It would be the perfect break from everything that's happened lately and a break from reading all of the email submissions I've been receiving. I didn't have to wait long because the bus was on time. 
I got a prime seat at the back by a window. Things were going well so far. As people started filing in, I popped in my earphones and tried my best not to make any eye contact with anyone. One wrong move and I'd get stuck with some guy loudly munching on roasted genus while telling me his life story. Eventually, the bus filled up. I covertly snuck a glance to my side to see who was sitting next to me. It was a properly exhausted older woman. She looked like she had the entire weight of the world on her shoulders. When her eyes met mine briefly, it was like I had been plunged into a deep, dark, cold pool of gloom. With a shudder, I looked away. I hoped it was pure coincidence that I would be there sharing bus-sitting compartments with the human embodiment of emotional suffering. I must have dozed off for the first stretch of the trip there because I started awake suddenly from the same awful dream I have been having for months now. I'm in a boat with my mother. Both of us are rowing pretty hard against a tough current. That song my aunt constantly sang in the background as usual. My mother is crying. I can tell even though her face is soaked with lake water. Then without warning, our boat capsizes and we're in the water unable to swim, our lungs filling up. This nightmare is probably an estimation of how I think my mother died on her way to Punishment Island when I was young. Usually I come out of it gasping for air, with that awful song still echoing in my head. This time though, I came awake to the sound of sobbing and wetness on my shoulder. My shocked reaction must have scared the living daylights of what I imagined was the already emotionally raw woman sitting next to me. She must have needed a shoulder to cry on and had sold mine in the darkness of the bus. It would have been funny if she hadn't looked with a deep kind of heart back at me that strangely filled me with shame. The rest of the trip there she turned her back on me, the mood in our compartment filled with a strange coldness. I couldn't go back to sleep after that. Partly because I didn't want to go back to my nightmares and if I'm being honest, I was terrified of what the woman sitting next to me would do while I slept. So by the time we arrived in Imbali in the early hours of Wednesday, my eyes were bloodshot and I felt like death. Without a glance or word to me, the woman exited the bus the minute it stopped. The random crew and the councilman were standing in the park waiting for me when I got out of the bus. We got the customary introductions out of the way and entered the councilman's pickup, which promptly dropped us off at a small bungalow in the village. I didn't pay much attention to anything. The moment he showed me my room, I politely told him that I needed a few hours of sleep. They were pretty understanding about the whole thing. They said they needed some rest too, so we agreed to reconvene at lunchtime. I woke up at around 11am to find the house still silent. The runners were still sleeping. I figured I'd be able to get away with sneaking in a joint behind the outside latrine before my bath. Afterwards, I made my way back to the house and dressed up. I was in a relatively good mood by then. I had shaken off the remains of the rough start the trip had taken and was ready to get to work. I could hear the runners getting up in their rooms and figured I would make some tanga woozy tea then go sit on front steps of the house with my cup and just people watch. After a few minutes of watching some kid chase around a flying polythene bug, I noticed a woman with an uncombed afro wearing back cloth laying down a mat in front of her house. I had never actually seen anyone in real life wearing back cloth. To the best of my knowledge, it's considered traditional mourning attire, mostly worn in the olden days. Immediately, all of my attention shifted onto her. She had her face fully painted black, maybe in suit I thought. It was a striking sight. 
She arranged a small bucket by the entrance. My tea completely forgotten, I watched her walk back inside and come back dragging what looked like a back cloth wrapped body. After she had successfully laid it down, she sat and unwrapped it. I could see that it was the body of a boy, probably in his mid-teens. In the background of all this, I could still hear the giggles of the polythene chasing kid. A couple passed by the house without paying much attention to what the woman was doing. She dipped some cloth into the water and started washing the body down. Her face was grim and dry, not a single tear on it. I was so transfixed. When she had dried the body, she suddenly looked up from her work and met my eyes. Her steady gaze held me in place and a huge shock went through me. It was the very same woman I had sat next to on the bus ride. I stumbled up to my feet, knocking the cup of tea I had ignored and spilling its contents onto the ground. Casting out loud, I bent and picked it up. When I looked back to where the woman was, she was still staring at me with such intensity. I quickly retreated back inside our bungalow. I didn't get out of the house until the councilman came to pick us up. We were going to interview some of the boys who would be undergoing the ritual the following day. When we got out of the house, I looked over and saw that the woman had smeared the suit all over the upper half of her body too. The boy's body still lay there in front of her. She instantly made eye contact with me and I froze within my tracks. Neither the runners nor the councilman paid any attention to her. They just nudged me into the car when they realized I wasn't moving and we drove off. I don't know why, but I was still quite shaken by the woman, so on the drive out I asked the councilman about her. He told me that he'd heard that the neighbor's son who'd previously gone through the ceremony had passed away a few days ago. He expressed how sad it was to have lost one son when he had just become a proper man. When we arrived at the village communal hall, or something like it, there was a small feast prepared for us and the young men. There was an anticipatory air about the place. The young men walked with a sort of pride. They were the masters of the ceremony and they knew it. While they were being interviewed, I took many pictures. Still, at the back of my mind lingered that image of the suited woman with a wild afro in back cloth with her son's body laid down in front of her. Afterwards, we ate with the young men and their families. Then the councilman drove us back to the house we were staying at. It was quite dark by then and a night chill was starting to creep in. We had drunk some traditional spirits with the locals and we were all laughing drunkenly by the time we got back to our house. As the randoms stumbled into the house, I paused lagging the equipment I had taken with me and peered towards the woman's house. At first I couldn't make out anything, but as I squinted into the dark, I could make out her form still sitting facing my direction. Quickly, I entered the house and locked the door. That night my dreams were a mishmash of the usual drowning ones about my mother. But this time there was a change up to the funeral. The rest of my family and I were all wearing back cloth and fully suited up from head to toe, singing that awful song. At 4am I woke up from the troubling dreams but couldn't go back to sleep. So I decided to edit some of the photos I had taken during the day. When I went to the kitchen to make Motanga Wuzi tea, I realized that I could see the woman's house from the kitchen window. So I walked there but quickly realized that I couldn't make out the front door from there. I then decided to go and have a look from the same spot as yesterday. It was still quite early and a bit foggy, 
but as I peered into it, a fully naked figure appeared not far from the house's compound. This time she was fully suited down, like how my family had been in my dreams. The sudden appearance of her gave me the most terrifying fright, causing me to trip and fall down. When I looked up, she was standing right in front of me, crying silently, the tears leaving tracks down her suited face. I don't know how long we stayed like that, me on the ground, looking up at her haunting crying, but the next thing I remember, I was being roughly shaken. I came back to myself and realized that I was standing barefoot in the middle of the compound. The tick had forgotten on the ground with the runners yelling my name. I dazedly looked around but couldn't see the woman at all. She wasn't even patched in front of our house like before. The others told me that they had found me standing still there and had apparently been trying to get me out of my trance for quite a bit. They ushered me back into the house, laughing and telling me about other deep sleepwalking stories they'd heard of. Meanwhile, all I could think of was the fact that I had been out there for hours and could barely remember most of it. The day of the circumcision ceremony reached and I felt like it passed by in a blur. I was too busy trying to capture all of the frenzied activity. It was something else, seeing those young men trying not to flinch as the deed was done. In a bid not to show any perceived cowardice and seeing the pride on their faces on getting through it. The atmosphere was a whole other experience that it drove out all other thought from my mind. It wasn't until the very last boy's turn that things took a strange turn for me. All around me, people were ululating loudly and singing. The local circumcision surgeon was subtly checking the sharpness of his knife amidst it all. The elder was talking to a visibly shaking young teenage boy. Despite that, he had this fierce resolution to his face. He kept nodding and looking upwards to the sky as he listened. Suddenly, everything around me got quiet really quickly. It was like someone had frozen me in place and slowed down the other people around me. When I looked to the slowed down crowd, I could see the naked, fully suited woman walking towards the place where the youngest boy was about to be circumcised. She tenderly touched his face and moved to fully embrace his back, in what looked like comfort. As the circumcision surgeon got to business, a grimace of pain flashed across the boy's face, his eyes blinking back tears. I could see the drops of blood slowly falling to the ground. Slowly, the woman let him go and walked away. When she was out of sight, everything went back to normal. Someone bumped into me, and when I looked up, the boy was lost in a crowd of his well-wishers. There was a celebration late into the night, and by the time we got back to our place, I was too tired and drunk to do anything but sleep. Pretty sure I had the best uninterrupted sleep I had ever had since I had gotten to Mbali. I slept in until 8 a.m. I didn't catch sight of that woman for the rest of the trip, but she haunted my every thought while I was there. After we climbed Mount Elgon, the Randons and I went our separate ways. It was agreed upon that I would send them the final edited pictures the following week and then I would get paid. It must have been around 3 a.m. as I was editing the final batch of photos back in my house. I got to one of the ones with the last boy being circumcised. It was a particularly good, clear photo. I could see that stark expression of pain and strong resolve on his face. As I cleaned it up, that's when I saw it, at the back of the photo, kind of blurry, but there she was, crying and looking directly into the shot. 
I checked the other pictures to make sure, but they didn't have her in them. She was just in that one. I sat in bed, just shaking while staring at it, till the harsh morning light started seeping into the room. Every now and then I just go back and look at that photo of her, crying in her back cloth, alone, looking in on the crowd around the young boy in joy, and wonder what she wanted with me. Maybe she recognized a certain grief in me similar to hers, or she needed someone to share in on her particular grief. While I was still in Kampala, people told me that circumcision is hard. But my brothers encouraged me to be found. That's what I did. Now it's finished. I now have a place among the lovers. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Punishment Island Episode 5, Rites of Passage, written and performed by Masembe. Music used was Imbalu Sounds from Imbale by Bagisu. Cover art was by Typical Ugandan. You can listen or download the show on all podcast platforms at your convenience. Please subscribe, rate and write a review on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Podcasts or wherever you listen from. Find me online at Punishment Island on Instagram, Tumblr and Twitter. Email me at thepunishmentisland at gmail.com. Thank you. Mwebali nyo.